Morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Um, there's, don't confuse me for free coffee, Gary. Um, I'm not free coffee, Gary. You come to me for a free coffee, I'm not going to get anything. But there is a free coffee, Gary, here, so go find him. Um, it's good to be with you. Uh, if you. If we haven't met, my name is Gary. I'm from Florida Road. I'm one of the pastors there. Uh, I am married to an amazing Kiwi. Um, it's hard. You've got to be humble when you're married to a Kiwi because we play sports against them. Um, and so, but it's, it's, it's been good. It's uh, nearly, uh, I think, seven, eight years, nearly eight years. You lose track. It's just a blur after a while. Um, and we've got a, we've got a six-month-old uh, who at the moment is giving us a little bit of a run for our money. So if I'm a, a little bit inarticulate, it's because he's... His new favorite game is to wake up at between half past three and four. Um, and then he doesn't believe he needs to go back to sleep. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at at the moment. Uh, but it's good to be with you guys this morning. And uh, hopefully you get something out of this. Um, who was here last week for Sandesh's testimony? Can I just see your hands? Um, Sandesh, if you haven't heard it, if you weren't here, you really, really missed out. Uh, Sandesh is the owner of Roti and Chai, which I don't know if you know about up here, but down outside by Florida Road. Um, it's a really successful restaurant that is very difficult to find, and you have to wait a long time for food for, uh, but people still do it and uh, because it's so amazing. And the amazing thing is Sandesh doesn't come from a culinary background. Uh, he, he's not a cook or a chef or whatever, um, but he grew up with this food from his grandmother and uh, at some stage in his life, um, I'll give you a, a little bit of a summary. So basically he was a business owner, quite a successful business owner, uh, and when he came to faith, uh, because he was, came from a Hindu background and he was married to a Hindu, he knew the decision to follow Jesus meant that he, his wife would divorce him, which she did, that he would get kicked out of his home, which happened, and that he would lose his business. Uh, and he made that decision anyway, uh, and all those things happened. And so he was basically he was homeless for a period. He was sleeping in his car, was sleeping in his office. Uh, he said the only saving grace is that he still had his gym membership, so he could at least shower uh, every day. And uh, and then God gave him this idea of making food. And so he basically reinvented recipes that he had only remembered tasting as a kid. Amazingly, reinvented them somehow. Uh, and now he is really successful. Um, the the business is is going amazingly. They opened two stores. They plan to open another three, I think, this year. And uh, it's an amazing story, but God's story, where it looked like everything was going in a certain direction, uh, and then God just stepped in and did something amazing. And uh, what I'm going to speak about today is really faith. We're going to unpack faith a little bit, because if you had met Sandesh, you know, now it's exciting. Like, he's getting up now and sharing his story, but he... Imagine meeting him, you know, when he was homeless, living in his car, and all that kind of stuff. Then, in that situation, you're like, "Yo, this is you know, like life before the but God story." You know, you only get a but God story because things were bad before. <laughs> and what happens in that space? How do we survive that space? How do we live in that space? You know, because if you had met Sandesh then, you might have been like, "Yo, is this what happens?" You know, when you follow Jesus, is this what happens when you say yes to Jesus? That all these things happen, um, and kind of wondering, like, hey, is God going to come through for you? Will God come through for you? When? Is it going to be six months? Is it going to be two years? Is it going to be ten years? Like, how do we, you know, how do you live in that space before God comes through, basically? And so that's what we want to get into today. Um, 
I remember as a kid, I'm going to tell you a story about faith that really impressed me as a kid. Um, I remember as a child, we used to do family devotions. I don't know if anyone does that anymore, but it was a bit of a thing then. So at breakfast time, my dad would open a book or something, and he'd share a bit of faith over breakfast. And I normally was just saying, Dad, you better hurry up because I'd leave everything. You know, like take my morning morning really slow until breakfast time, and then I had about ten minutes to do everything before I left. So I wasn't always that engaged, and obviously a lot of those uh, devotions I don't re- remember. But there's one in particular that actually really stands out to me. They told me a story about a man who I think it was about two hundred years ago. Uh, some of the details are hazy, obviously, because I was about eight to ten years old. Um, and this man one day, I think he lived in England about 200 years ago, but he was walking to work one morning, uh, and he was crossing this bridge, um, and there was this six-year-old girl standing on the bridge by herself. It's early in the morning, which is a little bit unusual. So he spoke to her, he stopped and he spoke to her, and he said, I asked her, why are you standing on the bridge? And she explained that in the night, her mother had died. But before she died, her mom said to her, go and stand on this such and such a bridge and wait there until Jesus comes for you. And he walked along, and and when she told him the story, he took her hand and he said, Jesus has come. He was a Christian man. And that began his work with orphans. Uh, And he began a lifelong journey with working with orphans. And I remember sitting there as a kid going, I wonder what I would have done. You know? You, what would you have done? Because maybe... You would have just said, yo, I'm a, I've got to phone Paul. There's a real problem here for the church to solve, you know? Uh, the church needs to solve this phone Paul. He knows people. This is going to happen. But what kind of faith does it take to, in a moment, make a decision that will change your life forever? And I remember thinking, I wonder if I could ever live a life like that. I wonder what I would do. I wonder what kind of faith this guy had. And I actually tried to find this story on the internet. I couldn't find it. But I found the, the story of a man called George Mueller. Actually, I've heard this, read up about him before. He's an amazing guy. So he has a picture of him, George Mueller. I know when you see that, you, you want to laugh a little bit, hey? Because he looks like an interesting character. He, he was a German that did his work in England. Uh, and George Mueller actually cared for, uh, during his lifetime, he raised, helped raise 10,000 orphans. And he did it completely by faith. He never asked anyone for money. He only asked God for money. That was the strategy God gave him. He said, don't ask anyone for money. Pray to me. And I want to read you uh, one account of just one day in his life. So the children are dressed and ready for school. But there is no food for them to eat, the house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. Can you imagine that moment? There's no food. Children, sit down at the tables. We're going to say grace and thank God for the food. And then he waited. Uh, George knew God would provide food for the children, as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled at the milkman, brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 330 children. Uh, I wonder about that because the baker obviously heard God in the night and the milkman probably didn't. So he had to have a broken cart. But anyway, God worked, you know, in mysterious ways. Um, And that that was just one day in his life. And he raised 10,000 
orphans. He started school programs that educated 120,000 children, and he just ran a church on the side. And uh, you wonder about this guy. And the amazing thing about George Mueller is when he was a Bible college student, he used to love going to bars, getting drunk, used to gamble. He got arrested a few times, and he loved making fun of Christians. When he was a Bible school. So probably not your best Bible school student um, that the world's ever seen, but they exist like this. Uh, and, and then, you, you know, because sometimes we look at that story and like we identify more with the gambling, drinking George Mueller. Like I understand that life, but the one that feeds 10,000 orphans, that one's a bit unusual for me. You know, it's like I can understand this one, but it's amazing. How does that George Mueller, the drinking, gambling, making fun of Christian George Mueller, how does that George Mueller become the George Mueller that raises 10,000 orphans through prayer alone. In fact, how do any of us grow in faith? Because here's what we know. God has no favorites. The Bible is so clear. So what he will do for one, he'll do for all. God has no favorites. And here's the other thing is faith is crucial. The Bible is so clear that we're saved by faith. We're kept by faith. We mature in faith. We enter into eternity by faith. We're healed by faith. We're delivered by faith. We're made whole by faith. We receive the Holy Spirit by faith. We work miracles by faith. And we move mountains by faith. Romans 1.17, for in it, that's the gospel, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, we start our journey in the Christian walk in faith, and we go from faith to faith. Because I remember as a young Christian, like, really struggling to have faith in God. I remember, like, beginning the tithing journey, and, like, was such a wrestler. I remember going, oh, I can't wait for the day when I'm mature in this area, and I don't need to have faith anymore. And then you realize that day never comes. You're always going to have to have faith. We never graduate from needing faith. In fact, whatever faith journey you're on now is only so that God can put foundations in your life so that later you'll have more faith to take bigger steps for Him. The just live by faith. This is the Christian faith. It's the whole deal. That's why the Bible again and again, especially in the book of Acts, refers to followers of Jesus as believers. It's the primary definition of who Christians are. We're believers. We are people of faith. And so that's what we're going to get into today, is how does faith come? How do we grow in faith? What is faith? That's the subject of today's sermon. So Hebrews 11 verse 1, famous verse, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. uh, Faith adds substance to things hoped for. You know, we can hope for a lot of things. We hope for skiing holidays. We hope to be taller sometimes. And, you know, if you're 14, that's a worthy hope. But if you're my age, not so much. Uh, you hope of getting promotion. Maybe you're getting married, have kids, traveling. You hope for a whole bunch of things. But not all of our hope has substance. I remember that for a, a long, long time. I got married at 13. And for a long, long time, I had a hope that I would get married. I hoped that she would be beautiful. I hoped, really, that God would speak to me about who I was going to get married and that I'd see his hand in that part of my life. That was my hope. But what I knew, because I knew the Bible, is that there was no promise in the Bible that says God will give a wife to every believer. It's hard. Like, if you're single... The Bible doesn't promise that if you follow Jesus, he will give you a spouse. In fact, the Bible's very clear that for some, singleness is a lifelong gift. It's a hard one, you know, (laughs) to believe that it's a gift. Um, It takes faith to understand that. And yet, for me, this hope persisted. And I had been living overseas uh, in Israel for a few years, and when I moved back to Durban, uh, I actually knew that something was changing, because I had been really content as a single person, but when I moved back to Durban, I knew something in my heart was changing. I knew that God was preparing me to get married. 
In fact, God was speaking to me, and suddenly, because God was speaking to me, faith started to come, and all of a sudden, there was substance to my hope. Now, nothing had changed in my environment. It's not like I could point over there and say, hey, faith's coming. I couldn't see anything different, or touch, or taste, smell, or hear anything different. There was no evidence that something was different, which brings us to the second part of that verse. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. You see, the, the world, you, everything we know in the world, we, we know it through the use of our five senses, what we see, uh, touch, hear, smell, and taste. This is the basics of science, observable data, and even in the courts of law, there's either evidence left at the scene, which you know, the people who investigate, they can see it, or someone else was a witness of what's going on. And so that's how we know things in the natural world. It's the, but, but the Bible says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. So something that you can't see, that you can't touch, hear, smell, or taste, uh, this faith is the evidence of an unseen reality. You see, people say seeing is believing. Ever heard of that before? Seeing is believing, and yet if you see something, you don't need to believe it anymore because if you can see it, it's not believing. It's right there. It's the evidence that it exists. So people say, what I can see or hear or smell, taste, touch, that's the evidence of reality, but the Bible says that faith is the evidence of an unseen reality. So the very fact that you have faith in a certain area means that there's this unseen reality that you can't experience any other way. So 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10 says this. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. What's amazing is it's saying we know these things by the Spirit, but no eye has seen them, no ear has heard them, and no mind has imagined them. So these are the only ways we know anything. is through the senses, eye has seen, ear has heard, or through our ability to think of something, the whole ability to use logic. But we know it by, its, by the Spirit. In other words, this, the Holy Spirit is like a sixth sense that allows us to engage in an unseen Reality, which brings me back to my story of when I moved back to Durban and I knew God was changing my heart. I knew that He was preparing me to get married. How did I know that? I couldn't see it, I couldn't hear it, I couldn't touch it, taste it, or smell it, but I just knew it. And then God started speaking to me very clearly. He actually called me on a fast and He said, He spoke to me and said, This is the end of singleness. You'll know who your wife is in a month. I remember Him telling me that. And all of a sudden, my faith was growing. I had a certain, suddenly there was substance added to my hope, and this faith was growing. I couldn't prove it to anyone, but I knew it was there. And then I had my but God moment. Gary was as single as single can be. I was single for 11 years before Teresa came into my life, which is a dry spell by anyone's standards. <laughs> Gary was as single as single can be, but God planned a wife for him and imported her from the other side of the planet. <laughs> She's a Kiwi, kiwibrights.com. I'm joking. It's <laughs> not a real thing. Um, and the skeptic may say, well, you just simply wanted to get married. After gallivanting in the Middle East for four years and having, you know, some adventures, you, you came back home, where you're from, and you wanted to put down roots. And so you just picked the first Christian hottie that came along. And it is true that in some cases it's easier to hear God's voice than in others. And the fact that my wife is hot made it easier. I was like, yes, Lord, I receive, you know. Um, but I would reply to that person, to that skeptic, and i say, well, actually, when things start to... to 
gather momentum with Teresa, I really had two questions. You know, when we start dating someone, you have questions that you need answers to. And I said, God, these are my two questions for you. And God answered those those two questions in the space of a week through other people coming to me and say, God spoke to me about this for your life. And I hadn't told anyone anything. To which the skeptic would say, ha, chance. Even a broken clock is right twice in a day. To which I would say that, well, when I got married, I didn't have any financial means, and God actually told me to propose and plan a wedding anyway without financial means, and God provided completely for it, and I paid everything cash for my wedding. To which the skeptic would say, you're a pastor, and people felt sorry for you. (laughs) You see, there's nothing I could, really, there's nothing I could explain to a skeptic to prove to them that faith was a part of that story because it actually it takes faith to understand a story about faith. Which is why people saw Jesus. They saw him teach and preach like no other teacher of his day. They said, we've never heard anyone speak like this. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him raise the dead. Now this is scientific stuff, observable data. They saw him perform unusual miracles. They saw him die on a cross. All in fulfillment of ancient prophecies, and they were unconvinced because it doesn't matter how much evidence they had, how much they could see without faith, you cannot understand a story about faith. Which is why different people could meet Jesus during his day, and some would say, this is the son of the living God. Some would say, oh, he's a really good man or good rabbi, and some would say he's demon-possessed and a madman. Because it takes faith to understand a story about faith. Hebrews 4, 2-3, for this good news, that God has prepared this rest, the, the gospel, the rest in the gospel, one of the characteristics of the gospel that brings rest to our lives, has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter this rest. See, the gospel's for everyone. But not everyone receives the rest of the gospel because it takes faith to receive it. Jesus died for everyone. And here's the thing every single person in Israel, when Jesus came, every single person was hoping for the Messiah. They believed that someone was going to come who would be a king like David, who would be a prophet like Moses, that would take away their sins and bring them into relationship with God. And they were all hoping for the Messiah, but only those with faith could receive him. Despite the observable data. And you see, this cycle plays out again and again in our, in our faith journey. We have this hope in our area of our lives. And we hope for it and hope for it, it exists. And then at some time, faith comes along and our hope gains su- substance. And then normally when we act on that faith, we get rock-solid evidence. And it becomes a part of our life and we get through the cycle again and again and again. Let me explain to you by using an illustration of your finances. Anyone here hopes that there's a God that provides for them? Anyone hopes that you're not alone in your financial journey? Anyone hopes that you could live a life without financial worry? Anyone? I think that's a universal hope. Imagine I could live a life without financial worry. And what happens is people get stuck in this thing like, I really hope this, and we'll pray prayers like this, God, give me a raise... And then I'll start to tithe. That's not faith. That's budgeting. 
And that's only, what you're basically saying is, I'll give away money I don't have yet, so if you give it to me, then I'll give it away. That's not faith, that's budgeting. Faith is, God, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this, this is supposed to work. How, it's not logical that I give away 10% of my income and I have it more, and I have enough to live. That's not logical. And faith says, that's cool, I'm going to do that anyway. And what happens is we get stuck in the space says, when God does this, then I will do that. I had another faith fight with God. I remember saying, praying this prayer, God, heal me, and I'll believe that you heal. <laughs> and God said, believe that I heal, and I'll heal you. And I was really mad with him, and we got stuck in this. And you know, God's got more time than us. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't willing to back down, you know, as, as insistent as I was. And I remember getting to this point of almost in defeat, going, okay, God, I have to fight for faith, and having this faith fight, and seeing God heal me. Because we get stuck in the space of God when you then are, and God will say, no, have faith now, and then I'll move. You see, faith allows us to see things and to live things and to experience things that are beyond, that, that defy logic, beyond the possibilities of this world. So, how does faith come? Firstly, faith is a gift. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. We can't even take credit for the faith that we have because it's God's gift to us. Isn't that encouraging? Because sometimes, have you ever been in this space where it's like, oh, I've got to have faith. I've got to have faith. And we try and faith it, you know? And it's like, oh, I'm going to faith it. And it's like, like it's our ability to have faith. And what this says is that faith is a gift from God. The fact that you have faith at all means God's given you a gift. And what God gives is far more powerful than what we muster up by our faith muscle. Second thing is faith comes by hearing the, the good news of Jesus. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. You see, there's three places that we can hear the good news about Jesus. Number one, the Bible. That's why we encourage people to read this, because as you read this, the Holy Spirit takes it and anoints it to your heart, and faith comes. The second thing is through the preaching of the Word. That's why we preach the Word every Sunday, because we believe that as we preach the Word, the Holy Spirit takes the words and makes it real to you, and faith comes. And the third thing is to hear other people's stories of what God's done in their life. Have you ever been in a space where, where you heard someone's story, and you're like, God, I want that too? Maybe you would do that for me, and in that moment, faith is being birthed into your heart. And so sometimes you, you face something, and you're like, God, I don't know if I've got faith for this. Don't worry. Faith comes. Get alone with the Bible. Start to listen to sermons. Start to listen to other people's stories, and faith will come. And the thir third thing about faith is that faith is purified. 1 Peter 1 verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The trials show that our faith is genuine and is tested by fire just as fire purifies gold. How is gold purified? It's taken and it's put into a furnace. 
And the amazing thing about that is that when it's put into a furnace, what's burnt away is the impurities, the dross it's called. It's the impurities in the gold suffer harm. They're burnt away. But the gold itself is completely unharmed by fire. And the amazing thing is because your faith isn't from you. Your faith is from God as a gift from you. And faith comes by hearing the word. When you go through difficult circumstances, the dross, the imperfections that exists in your faith journey, those things are burnt up, but your faith suffers no harm. In fact, it's purified and made more and more pure because God cares about your faith. Why? Because just like trust is, uh, d- determines the level of intimacy in a marriage, faith determines the level of intimacy with God. And God doesn't just care about the quantity of your faith, but the quality of your faith as well. I'm going to tell you a story about a trial in my life that God used to purify my faith. I uh, came to faith at the age of 16, and at the age of 20, I was diagnosed with clinical depression. So I've been a Christian, full of the Holy Spirit, loved Jesus for four years, got diagnosed with, with clinical depression, and I actually struggled with depression for 10 years. And the amazing thing is that when I sat in that um, psychologist's office and he, he told me that I was diagnosed with depression, in my heart, I said, I know my God will heal me. God just dropped a little deposit of faith in my heart and it sat there. And the amazing thing is that in 10 years, I never stopped believing that God was going to heal me. There were times I wanted to stop believing. I actually got to the point where I said, God, it's too hard to still hope that you're going to heal me. Because, you know, it's hard to have a hope that's disappointed. In fact, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And the amazing thing that is in that journey, I wanted to stop believing at some point. I I was like, it's easier if I just believe that this is who I am. I'm just going to manage this for the rest of my life and keep believing that God's going to heal me. And yet for the life of me, I couldn't give up on faith because faith was a gift from God that he had planted in my heart. You see, faith has this enduring quality to it that 10 hard years can't destroy it. Because God plants it in our hearts. But you know what did happen? (laughs) Is that many of the imperfections in my faith journey got burnt up. You see, the reason, one of the reasons that I, I was stuck in depression is because I was stuck in legalism. I really believed that my relationship with God depended on how good I was doing. And because I believed that, every time I read the Word, because I thought, man, if if I just understand this, God's going to set me free. But I didn't read the Word of God with the lens of what Jesus Christ had done for me. I read it with the lens of what God demanded of me. And every time I saw what God expected of me, I became more and more discouraged. In fact, it made my depression worse, not better. You see, I read this without faith in Jesus Christ. I read this with faith in me. See, I still thought I could be a good Christian. I still thought that I could be, if I just try hard enough, if I just pray enough, and let me tell you, I did. I had a degree in, I have a degree in theology. (laughs) Had. I didn't take it away. And I had been preaching this for 10 years, but because it wasn't mixed with faith, it did me no good. 
And then at some point in this journey, two things happened. Number one, I gave up believing that I, was, I could ever earn God's righteousness. And I actually came to the point where I said, okay, God, I, I, I give up. And in that moment, that dross, that imperfection in my faith, sorry, got burnt up. And what was left was the faith that I originally had when I came to him. And that faith was made stronger because now I know that I can't earn God's faith, God's righteousness, and he doesn't expect it, that he gives it to me freely. The second thing that happened is I really believed that if I could just figure this out with my mind, I could heal myself. I'm a pretty academic kind of person. I've always been able to, to think stuff through and figure it out. And I just believe, man, if I just read enough, if I just study enough, then I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to get healed. Um, there were times when I was reading like five or six books at once. I just read and read and read because I was looking for answers. Because I was like, man, I'm just going to figure this out. And I came to the point where I realized I can't heal myself. I can't, I'm not smart enough to figure this out. And in that moment... I gave up believing in my own intellect to heal me. And in that moment, that imperfection, that dross in my faith journey was burnt up, but the faith remained. And as I started to read this book with the lens of look what Jesus Christ has done for me. Look what he says about me. Look, he says I'm chosen, that I'm loved before the foundation of the world, that that the resources of heaven are working in my life. As I began to cling in faith to the power of the scriptures, all of a sudden I started to get healed. And the faith that God deposited in my life a decade before bore fruit. In 10 hard years... My faith suffered no harm, but the imperfections in my thinking, my faith in myself, my confidence in Gary was absolutely destroyed. And you know, all those trials, rather than harming me, purified my faith. I don't know where you're at this morning, but what I know is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given you a measure of faith and it will not be destroyed by the things you go through. In fact, the Bible says, I want to be very clear, God didn't send depression my way to give me, to purify my faith. Depression came and God said, I can use that. I don't think it had to take 10 years. Maybe you just, you know, give up quicker than me. I was just stubborn to my own faults. But whatever's going on in your life, God can use it to purify your faith. Why? Because Hebrews 11.6 says it is impossible to please God without faith. Why? Because God cares about the quality of his connection with you. And that solely depends on your faith. So what do we do? Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. You know, that's how I used to live. I was like, I'm going to run with endurance. God, I'm going to keep faithing it. It's going to be in my ability even to have faith. And then how do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's what endurance looks like for a Christian. Just enjoy being with Jesus. Just enjoy getting up in the morning and grabbing a cup of coffee 
and the Bible and just enjoy being with Him. Just enjoy those moments in your car where you have worship music on and you, and you just connect with Jesus. Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You know where I'm going. Not, I'm going to faith it. I'm just going to be with Jesus. Why? Because He is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Your faith story started, it was Jesus' idea, not yours. It was his idea for you to have faith. He initiated your faith story, and he will bring it to completion. He will perfect it. And I thought God was expecting me to perfect my own faith story. And Bible just says he perfects our faith. How? We just hang out with him. We just enjoy being with him. And he perfects the faith that he put in us. Doesn't that take the pressure off? He loves you. He loves you. And the gospel is powerful. It's the power of God unto salvation, which doesn't just mean to you know, be forgiven of our sins and go to heaven. It means to be made whole, to be delivered, to be set free. And as you look upon Jesus, who loves you so much that he died in your place, and you say, thank you, Jesus, that you died there, and my faith is completely in you and not in me. I thank you that you've given me this gift of faith, that as I read your word and I listen to preachers, faith comes, and that through every hard thing, you'll use everything for the benefit of those who are called according to your purpose, who are chosen by you. And your faith is purified. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much that you have given us a gift of faith. That you've, you've given us a gift of faith that you, faith comes by hearing the good news about Christ and that faith is purified throughout our lives. I thank you that Jesus is the initiator and the perfecter of our faith. And I just pray, God, that everyone takes a deep sigh of relief and leans back into you, knowing that you'll carry them and perfect their faith throughout their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Please go find the other Gary for free coffee and, uh, and stick around. Thank you.